0: Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic are the musical settings of our liturgy. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon.
1: And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, I know that the settings tend to change in between the hymnals, and we did a whole podcast on the different hymnals. We that did. happened in the
0: past, I don't know how many years. Oh, should we send people back to the ones that prep you for this episode? If people want backstory after they listen to that, they can go find the one on the hymnal. Exactly. They can find last week's podcast on the general ordo, the general sort of layout of worship. Did we do any cuppas on worship and hymnody in the past? Mm, we've
1: done one on hymns, but haven't quite got into what I want to yet mm. in terms of hymns. So there's more to come. There's more to come.
0: All right. So last week I talked about gathering, word, meal, sending. Yep. And that there are different pieces within the big pieces. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about this week are the traditional chunks that go into those bigger pieces. Like they're smaller musical pieces. They're not the hymns. Nope. And it's not the psalms. And it's not the psalm. We call it the Kyrie or the Gloria, the Alleluia verse, those and not kinds of every church sings these, right? Correct, right? You don't have to sing these. You don't
1: have to sing them. Let's go back to the beginning then. Okay. How much have they changed? I've only been in this for I think the past three hymnals. I've noticed a little bit of a
0: change, but not a huge amount of change. Right. They do change from hymnal to hymnal, and what it is is in the hymnal, kind of in the front of the book, mm-hmm. you're going to find what are called the settings. So the service book and hymnal had the service portion, yep, and the hymnal, right, because the hymns are in the hymnal. Mm-hmm. The service book covers the front service stuff in the LBW. Again, it was in the front, the different settings they are called. And in the ELW, the Cranberry Hymnal that you'll find in ELCA churches now, and it's called the ELW because it's the Evangelical Lutheran Worship Book. Okay. That has 10 settings. No way. 10 of them? And a service of the word, so that if you don't have any music, you have a service of the word.
1: Well, Okay. Service Intended of, to be spoken.
0: It can be spoken and also does not include communion.
1: Okay. That does actually make sense. Yep. Okay. So the 10 settings then... Did they go back and pick up ones from
0: the other hymnals because people were mad? Well, they continued to sure. have some, right? So a couple of the settings from the LBW that were really popular... And really near and dear to the hearts, moved over into the ELW, so they remain. Mm-hmm. And then there were new settings that were created for this publication. By whom? By musicians. Mm. Contemporary musicians. Like, actually, contem- like, people alive. People alive! <laughs> There's, that, a, there's a new concept. That kind of contemporary, not praise and worship contemporary, but as in still alive musicians who were writing things. And so they were open for submission. You I could write to ask, a is it something mm-hmm. that they went out and asked Absolutely. specific
1: people for or people who anybody could just submit?
0: Anybody could submit. Hmm. And then it was considered by the committee that was building the hymnal and then included or not included. Now, we have additional hymnals in our tradition, like This Far By Faith is another hymnal that our publisher has published, and that has African-American spiritual traditions rooted within it. Okay. And so the settings there are of a different flavor. Oh, those other
1: hymnals can have other settings in them as well. Precisely. Okay.
0: How you sing something, what timbre, note, melody line kind of thing... How you sing something is this fabulous word called adiaphora. And we have done a podcast on that. Yes, we have. And so you can go back and listen to that one if you like. It's spelled A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A, I I think. Adiaphora, your spell check, will not recognize that word. But if you Google it, it will say, did you mean and have the correct spelling. Mm -hmm. But adiaphora is the stuff that doesn't actually save us, the stuff that doesn't really matter. No. And so how we sing something or if we sing something is audiophora. It can enhance the worship. It can help us experience the worship in different ways. You know, if we are singing everything quietly and in a minor key, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a very different feeling about the worship service than if we're singing things in a major key and very loudly with a heavy syncopated rhythm. Yeah. Quietly in a minor key says to me, oh, it's Lent. Oh, exactly. good. Exactly. <laughs> right? You change the timbre of the room by what you choose as far as the music goes. And these liturgical settings, all these different kinds of settings that you can find out there, will change the way a worship service feels depending upon how it's written, what instruments you're playing it on, and whether or not your people know it. And if they are learning it or singing it fullheartedly, right, all those different pieces go into it. How much does
1: this vary from church to church in terms of, I'm assuming how musically inclined the people mm. leading the service are, is going to determine just how much singing you actually do?
0: Yeah, and it varies vastly. The congregations that I have served, my internship congregation, prided itself that they never used the same liturgical setting two weeks in a row.
1: Oh. They had about
0: six settings that they knew and they rotated. Wow. But they never used the same one two weeks in a row.
1: Yeah, for those of us who are kind of coming into the tradition, that (laughs) seems a little
0: more like insider baseball to me. That would be hard. (laughs) It wasn't difficult music. It was music that could be picked up by the modern ear. Mm -hmm. And so it was a highly melodic based liturgical setting choice. Yeah, but it's still going to
1: help if you can read music, which not everybody can either.
0: Totally going to help if you can read music. Absolutely. It was very, very musically driven congregation. That was a central portion of their identity at the time. And they had a music leader, a worship leader who could lead that in really awesome ways. And so both of the key musicians at the time were both composers. And so they wrote their own liturgies, even, And they were beautiful. They're fantastic pieces of music that really spoke to the melodic ear of the people within the congregation. So that the music made sense when you were trying to learn it. Mm -hmm. I guess
1: that's part of another question is it's allowed to use other liturgies than what's in the book itself? Absolutely.
0: Okay. Absolutely. The hymnals are a resource, not a box they are just one place where we can find our music. So
1: if you had a congregation that just could not deal with the new stuff, you could go back to some of the older mm, hymnals? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely.
0: You can go back to the old stuff. For If it's a congregation that's really, really bored by the old LBW settings and they really don't want anything to do with them, you can totally go outside. In fact, you don't even have to use all these pieces. So the different Portions, some of the words some people might recognize, uh-huh. right? Some people may recognize one of the liturgical settings that's been very popular in the last 15, 20 years is written by Marty Haugen called "Now the Feast and Celebration. Mm-hmm. And the opening Kyrie is this section where the purpose of the Kyrie is to open up and set our hearts to call to God for God's mercy and presence within the worship service. Okay, And then so you have this opening Kyrie that goes back and forth between the assisting minister leading it and the congregation. And then we go into the Gloria, the song that says, yay, God is awesome in here. So the piece of the Kyrie would be the in peace, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Okay. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Right, That's the Kyrie section. And then you get the, now the feast and celebration, all of creation sings for joy. That's the Gloria, hymn of praise. Okay. It can also start with the words of, this is the feast of victory for our God. Hallelujah.
1: Are there two settings of that or is it just two different? So there are two
0: different sets of words that are traditional words, and there are probably hundreds of settings for those words. Okay. So this is all still
1: falling then after the opening hymn and before you get to the meal,
0: correct? Mm -hmm. So this is the gathering. The pieces that I just talked about were the gathering portions of the liturgy. So in the option of the sung liturgy portion, you can choose to do the Kyrie or not. You can choose to do the hymn of praise or not. What leads you to make that choice of whether or not to do it? For me, sometimes it's feeling of the season. Okay. Length of service. Okay. Got <laughs> um, extra stuff going on. Right. Shorten like it. We're going to have a baptism. So oh, okay. I'd rather not do the Kyrie and the Hymn of Praise because I want that time for the baptism. Still want to keep within a decent time limit. So let's go ahead and pull some stuff. There are times in the church year where things are more appropriate than others. So the curiae is really great during Lent and okay. Advent feels kind of odd during Easter. Okay. The Hymn of Praise feels kind of odd during Lent. Do you also use it as a more formal feeling service? We can. Okay. And again, that depends on context in the congregation. Last year when Martin and I were beginning our partnership and October was coming up and we had... Martin, for those of you who are
1: unfamiliar, is the organist and the music director here. Thank
0: you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yes. So... We called on a new music director. He began in September, the end of October, and the first week of November to really big festivals in the church year for us. So we have Reformation Sunday on the, 30, on the last Sunday of October, and we have All Saints Sunday the first weekend of November. And so he and I talked very specifically about how we wanted to approach these first festivals of our worship partnership together. Mm-hmm. And we looked at the liturgies to say, what kind of a field do we want to set for these? And we very intentionally, on the last week of October, started extremely high church for us, which meant for this congregation definition wise, I actually started up at the high altar.
1: Which you rarely. Which I
0: had never done before mm-hmm. in my four and a half years here. I had never been up there before. And we used a setting from the LBW. Ooh, you went old school. We went old school. We went back to this very traditional, all stops open, huge organ sound, and this setting that would have been really beloved mm-hmm. of the congregation when it was published. And it may even go back to the service book and hymnal. So it may go back
1: many, know, many years,
0: many years, the childhood of some of our members. And so that sound calls up. Feelings of tradition Mm -hmm. and feelings of the majesty and tradition of the 50s, 60s, and 70s that were high. But then throughout the rest of the service, we walked it back so that at the end of the service, I ended and I had a big chasuble on, a big Mm -hmm. cape thing on at the beginning. And we walked it all the way down to me even taking off my alb and just being in plain clothes for the end of the service, to show that movement of the Reformation from high tradition to the work of the people. Sure. And I think Martin ended on the piano with a contemporary piece of music for the final hymn. Nice. Right. So we very carefully crafted and used the liturgical music, even the setting in the middle of So you have your opening, the gathering stuff that we've talked about, these two pieces. And then during the word, you have the Alleluia verse for the gospel. That's part of the liturgical setting. Mm -hmm. And then in the meal, the part of the liturgical setting is the way that the prayer is prayed back and forth over the meal between the congregation and the pastor and the music that is sung there. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of the end of where the liturgical music is because we don't typically use the post canticle here. But there is one. But there is one, should, you, is choose one? should you choose it? to use it? <laughs> so all of these pieces, we specifically chose how and when we were going to use it to make the shift from highly traditional to a more contemporary. And we made that shift kind of at the prayers of the people and during the sermon at the end of the word. And so I moved from the high altar to the the middle to Mm -hmm. the table to the floor to the font how much are we shifting
1: from the mostly sung high churchy Mm -hmm. to the we're just going spoken word because nobody can sing anymore
0: i haven't run into that in my ministry okay lutherans tend to be singers yes they do we really do
1: I was pleasantly surprised in high school when I joined my then-boyfriend's family and realized I was sitting with the Von Trapps in four-part harmony (laughs) without even knowing what was going on, because that's not the experience of the Catholic Church that I grew up with.
0: Lutheran Church really values music. Mm -hmm. We value four-part singing. Mm -hmm. It's not a cappella, but it's a rich four-part harmony. Our college choirs are known... For being touring groups and internationally touring choirs.
1: But that said,
0: I've noticed,
1: and I'm not sure if it's a regional thing, Mm -hmm. that it's just in this part of the country. There tends to be
0: a little less, and it's a little less traditional. The first time I attended a Lutheran church that wasn't my campus ministry, Mm -hmm. we used now the Feast and Celebration on campus. So that was my first liturgy. I admit that, which is part of why I know it so well and mm-hmm. why I like it so much, mm-hmm. because it was my Lutheran birth liturgy. The first time I went to a church off campus, he was probably doing LBW setting, mm-hmm. blah blah, whatever it was, and he got to the what's called the proper preface, and that's in the part in the meal. So we've gone through the gathering the word. Now mm-hmm. we're in the meal. And in the meal, there's all these little bits and pieces, these tiny little puzzle pieces that go together. And there's what's called the sersum corda. Sersum meaning lift up, corda meaning heart. Okay. So that's the part where the pastor says, the Lord be with you, lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. So that's the sersum corda. And then the next part is called the proper preface. Mm-hmm. And again, if you remember from last week's podcast, the word proper meaning appropriate to the day. Okay. And so the proper preface always starts with, it is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and all places give thanks and praise to God. Yep. But then the rest of it changes oh so slightly by what's happening on that day. It's different for Pentecost than it is for Easter, than it is for Lent, than it is for Advent, than it is for regular Sundays. So the proper preface historically has been chanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first time I heard it chanted at this church off campus, I was sitting there going, what a pompous jerk. Who does he (laughs) think he is? Nice. I thought it was so pretentious. I very... Very rarely in my ministry have sung the proper preface. (laughs) That is funny. See, I came
1: in a little earlier than you did. And we were doing the old school LBW. And that whole Gregorian chant thing was happening on the radio at the same time. So I'm like, well, this makes
0: perfect sense. Uh, Yeah, probably because that was my very first reaction to it. (laughs) It was a strong and it was was negative. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And so I've done it, especially when my music directors have asked me to. Sure. I have done it. And it's the whole part that is like it is indeed right and in salutary that we should in all times in real places, yep. things, and all da, places to things da-da-da-da. Right? I really don't like it. <laughs> I don't know, I find it kind of pretentious. So even though I am a singer, even though I can sing, even though I can chant, and it is harder to chant than to sing. Yeah. I gotta put that out there. It is a skill to be able to chant well. And because chanting is so not a part of our normal life, uh-huh. it feels so different to hear chant. It's not recitative, right? This is not like an operatic conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not a Broadway spoken sung situation. Mm-hmm. This is chant. And when we suddenly, in the midst of a service, break into this style that is so vastly different than anything else in the service, it just feels odd to me. Okay. Sometimes I've done it in ways where I Broadway things up, probably more than many, just because that's my background. Uh huh. But if I'm doing it properly, I wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> it would be straight-toned to chant, right? And that's really hard. Uh huh. Especially three quarters of the way through the service after you've already preached and your voice is tired. Sure. Even for a singer. So I find that I speak it 99.9% of the time. Okay. So that's that particular part of the
1: service. What about the rest of it? How do you decide which setting? Do you change it up often or do you just pick one for a season and go for it?
0: Yes. (laughs) All righty then. I mean, again, it depends on your context. So in that internship parish, we change it up all the time. In the other parishes that I've served, it really has depended on the music director. Sure, and we oftentimes have That's chosen a lot things. of extra music
1: for them to know beyond just the hymns, hymns. Exactly. And potentially a choir anthem.
0: Exactly, and you need to know the skill and the talent of your musician mm-hmm. because some of them are going to be able to play jazz really well. And some of them are gonna be able to play contemporary melodies really well. And some are gonna have much better skills on the LBW style stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you really need to know your musician to know what you're asking of them. And it matters that they enjoy playing it. Oh, yeah, that comes through. It comes through majorly Mm -hmm. huge. And if you're asking a musician to play something that they actually don't like. You can just refer to my son's face (laughs) at
1: every church service when he goes up at the end to play the drums. (laughs) It's kind of all right there.
0: Right. And that doesn't serve well. Not that your son doesn't serve well. But that he's a
1: teenager. It's expected at a certain point. Right.
0: But if the musician isn't enjoying the music, it doesn't serve the congregation. Oh, absolutely. That bleeds through. And so... It takes time to kind of figure out what your musician enjoys playing and where they thrive and where they really come to life in their music. And then you can start finding settings that really will bring the best out in them because that's going to bring the best out in your people. Typically, we do it by season. Okay. A setting for Advent will run for four weeks. A setting for Easter will run for six. A one-off setting maybe, but that needs to be really familiar because you're not going to have time to learn it. Uh Uh-huh. When we get into this season after Pentecost, it's so long that you can change it up maybe by the month. Sure. Or decide, well, we're going to do this for six weeks or we're going to do this for eight weeks or Mm -hmm whatnot, and then change it up. It's going to feel different in September because we're all coming back from school. So even though it's still season after Pentecost until the end of October, we're going to go ahead and... Church it up a little. Do something else. Mm -hmm. However, whatever kind of mood we want to set. But again, a lot of these things are debatable. You don't have to have it all. You can really strip it down to bare bones or you can really do it up. It all depends upon what effect you're wanting. I think... For congregations that are lucky enough to be able to have a music director and a pastor who can work together in a worship team, who can work together to kind of choose how to set the tone, that's a really awesome thing to have that conversation about what are we aiming for. A lot of congregations, it's just the pastor making all the choices on the what liturgy we're going to use and what hymns we're going to use. I did that for a long time in my ministry, uh-huh. making those choices. And so it really is about knowing your people and where they can enter in and knowing what kind of a feel that's going to set. If they're learning something new, so there have been several times where mm-hmm. learning a new liturgy is really great because you can really bring something new to a congregation when you learn a new liturgy. And it's best to not do that on like a festival day. No, no. There are other
1: things to be done on festival days. Right.
0: You can do that hard work of learning something new, like during the summer months or. (laughs) Any day but Easter. Any day but Easter. You really don't want a brand new liturgy on Easter. No. You want people feeling comfortable.
1: All right. This is going to lead me to my last question. I know you've said Marty Haugen is one of your favorites. Do you have (laughs) another favorite beyond that one? That is a good question.
0: I don't know that Now the Feast is my favorite. It is familiar to my heart Okay. in the way that the LBW settings like 1 and 2 Would are. Would be for
1: me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Doesn't mean you love them. It just means that you know them, and it feels kind of comforting to sing them. Yeah. And it's I, the
1: church equivalent of comfort food. It totally is. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> totally. It's mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Favorite liturgy?
1: I'll tell you mine. Yeah, what is it? It's the one that you do with the assisting minister just after the Christmas service where you're using all hymns.
0: Oh, all the Christmas carols? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fun setting. So, for people who are wondering, the entire, all the different pieces, all the words are set to the tunes of Christmas carols.
1: Since I don't ever get a chance to go caroling, yep. it's kind of the only time I get to sing some of these songs, even if I'm not singing the traditional words. Yep. I enjoy it immensely.
0: That one is a very well-received, and I don't remember where that came from, but I've been using it since first call. Someone gave it to me, like, oh, I went and visited, and I found this, and I've been tweaking the words for over a decade, nice. because every year, when we we don't sing it that much. No. We get to use it, like, one, the two Sundays after Christmas, right? Maybe twice, yeah. Maybe twice, and inevitably, I'm like, oh, that word is terrible there, <laughs> and then I, then I have to try to remember to change it before... I forget because it's before Christmas and my brain is there. fried, right? Uh-huh. And get it fixed before the next year. That is a favorite setting. I do like that one. That one is fun. And that one is well-received. My favorite setting changes from congregation to congregation. And I think it's because it is based on which one they sing with their hearts. Oh, sure. I can see how that would change. Right. And so creator, I would say there was one called Come Home and... Man, they sang that with their hearts. And it was so beautiful when they would sing it. And at Ascension, I don't know that we had a particular liturgy that they loved so much. The Mass of Light, I enjoyed that when I introduced that one. But they had a parting song that they sang to each other once or twice a month that the choir would surround the congregation and then they would sing it to each other and it was this beautiful parting song and they sang that song with their hearts sure it was a choral setting but they all knew the four parts even if they weren't in the choir and didn't have it in front of them because Lutherans because Lutherans and because they've been singing it for so Mm -hmm. long and have been such a part of their tradition up at first it was the Lord's Prayer that we've been singing here Mm -hmm. by David Haas it's a setting of the Lord's Prayer that's just really beautiful and first sang that piece with their hearts it was beautiful and here, gosh, I think with Martin having just joined us, mm-hmm. we haven't yet found that one piece where all of us are jiving with it yet. Yep. And that's not a bad thing to say. It's just a change and it's a shift. I would say at the end of the previous music director's time, it was the piece, You Are Beloved for God is Love, okay. You Are Beloved of God, when everyone on her last day was really singing that and we let that just kind of hang in the air, and we sang it through several times, and that was sung from the heart that day. And now we're just in a transitional time of refining that space in that jive. Sure. So really, it's about my people. It's about hearing their hearts sing in the music, and that's what I love. Well, that's fantastic.
1: Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the musical settings of the liturgy. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic.
0: As do I. And thank you all for listening along. It is wonderful to have you with us. We would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Leave us a message on Facebook or even a review on iTunes. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.